extras. Uh, I'm sure we could give you one. If you just hold your hand up, we'll make sure that you have a Bible today. Anybody need a Bible this morning so that you could follow along with us today? If you're here without one, just lift your hand up and we'll give you one. If you don't own a King James Bible, feel free to hold your hand up and we'll be happy to give you one as a gift. All right? Anybody at all? All right. Oh, yeah. Would you like one? Alex, you want one? Sam? Okay. Right over here. Kevin? All right, open your Bible to uh, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We're making our way slowly through the book of Romans, still in chapter 15 after many, many months. And uh, we're on a verse that I don't want to let go of just yet. We're still on verse number uh, 13. And um, I want to stay there one more time. And I have... Uh, I have just have some things I think the Lord would have us just to consider again on this verse. I'm going to give you a chance for everybody to get there, get quieted down, get your, uh, get your minds and get your hearts ready to listen this morning. All right, shut your cell phones off, by the way. Would you do that? Okay, just shut your cell phones off. And uh, so you can just give God some undivided attention, as they say. All right, let the Lord have a chance to just talk to you this morning. That's all He wants to do. I'm glad we have a gentleman for a God. Uh, you know, He doesn't roll you down with a, with a bulldozer. He, he will wait. He will knock. And um, it'll be your loss if you can't hear Him and open that door and respond to Him. But He doesn't scream and yell in your ear. Uh, We've seen that in the Scriptures so many times. Even the story in the Old Testament where great prophet of God, Elijah, was uh, following a tremendous victory that he had had on Mount Carmel when he called down, he prayed and called down fire from heaven. And he had just seen a miraculous evidence of God's power and presence. And then he got discouraged. He got afraid because there was a threat on his life. And he took off. He ran. And... uh, He was hiding in a cave. And uh, God said to him, Elijah, what doest thou here? What are you doing here? And uh, and then all of a sudden, there was a tremendous windstorm. And the Bible says, but the Lord was not in it. And then there were all sorts of other, like, crazy, miraculous things that would have been, I guess, to a prophet, you would have said, the prophet might have thought, well, that's the Lord. Look at that. And God wasn't in any of those things until finally Elijah heard a still, small voice. Quiet. And God was in that. That was God. And God didn't come, you know, with trumpets blaring and fire and earthquakes and brimstone because God just does not deal with us that way. He waits until your heart is quiet enough that you can hear Him. And that's the problem. We live in a noisy society. Everybody's got earphones in 24 hours a day. Noise, TV, I'm, I'm sure, and I don't mean this in any kind of criticism, but I know there are people that just cannot handle the silence. You know, you can't, can't have it quiet. Don't know what to do with quiet. <laughs> but um, maybe it's the generation that we live in. There's got to be noise going all the time. But you know what? One thing that you can't do very well when there's noise going is hear from God. And it takes a quiet heart. And so that's what we're hoping for this morning. Get quiet. 
And I don't mean, you know, you shut up and me speak. I'm saying let your heart get quiet. Let your thoughts settle down. And, and let God get a hold of you. Let God speak to you this morning. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And we'll read verse 14 also. But I'm gonna, we're going to look again at chapter thir- uh, verse 13. I don't want to let this go this morning. And so we're going to hold on to this for a little while longer. <laughs> now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Could we just read it again together? Read it with me. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, if you don't know that verse very well, that should be one you know. You should mark that one down, hide it in your heart, memorize it, put it on an index card, somehow underline it, get it so that when you're going through something, you can remember You can remember this. The God of hope. As we said last Sunday, I'm glad He's a God of hope. It doesn't say the God of judgment, the God of wrath, the God of fire. It says the God of hope. You know what? That's what sinners need, hope. (laughs) And I'm glad we have a God of hope. I'm glad we have a God that isn't walking around up and down the aisles of this church with a baseball bat just waiting for you to get out of line. That's the God of religion, but that's not the God of hope. We have a God of hope in this Bible. And I'm thankful for that, because that's what I needed. But uh, there's a lot of things in this verse that are just worth taking another look at. I know we've been on this for several times now, but now the God of hope fill you, and we've already commented on this, fill you with joy and peace. How much, as we said last Sunday, how much this world needs some joy and peace? That's not something that... The unsaved is not something that the, uh, the world knows very much about. There's not a lot of joy. Oh, there's a lot of partying, and there might be a lot of laughter, and there, lo- there, not, there might be a lot of revelry, and there might be a lot of what appears to be joy. But joy and happiness are not even the same thing. Joy and pleasure are not even the same thing. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, for a short season, and then comes payday. But joy is something that comes from God, that's deep in your heart, that doesn't go away even when the circumstances are horrible. Joy is something given to you by the Holy Ghost, and it's the result of believing God. That's the simple truth of this verse. If you're lacking joy in your life, it's, it, remember that it comes from God, the Holy Ghost, and it comes as a result of believing God that the God of hope may fill you, that the, that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in believing. Joy and peace. Those two things, and we're not going to go back and preach last Sunday's message again, but I don't know. I don't, want, don't you want joy? Is that something you'd say, you know what, I don't really want any of that. No, I think, I think we'd all say, I could use some more of that. I could use some more joy in my life. I want peace in my life. You know, the opposite of peace. Just turmoil, anxiety, trouble, restlessness on the inside. Sleeplessness, worry. That's, That's the opposite of peace. Peace is when God just quiets that turmoil, that restlessness, 
on the inside. It's like when he stood up in that boat on the Sea of Galilee and the boat's rocking all around and it looks like it's in danger of sinking. The disciples are terrified. Mark chapter 4. And, they, and he's asleep. The Lord is asleep. That's peace, by the way. <laughs> That's peace. I want what he's got. I want that. I want to be able, when the boat looks like it's sinking and everything is going down around you, you can just put your head down and say, that's all right, God's in control. That's peace. Wouldn't you like to have that? You know, the world can't give you that. You are not going to get peace in this world. The Bible says, there is no peace to the wicked, saith my God. God does not give his peace to this world. The world's in turmoil. The world is fighting all the time. The world is offended every two seconds. You look at somebody the wrong way, they're mad. You bump somebody on the subway, they want to pull a knife out. I mean, this world has no peace. There's no rest, no contentment. Nothing but anxiety, nothing but pills, nothing but... You know, they need a medication to fix it. Now, sometimes I'm not against medication. Sometimes it's necessary. But you know what? If the issue is an issue of the heart, you don't need medication for that. You don't need medication for that. You need the Lord for that. And many of the things that are really issues of the heart, because the world doesn't understand them as being spiritual problems, the world tries to medicate them. The world tries to drug somebody up and fix it with the only remedies they, they have. It's not their fault. They just don't know any better. And so many of the things that are really spiritual issues, the world interprets them as being psychological and medical issues. When really a lot of the things that are wrong with us could be fixed if we were right with God. If we were right with God, the things wrong with us, many of them would just go away. But peace. The Lord's in that boat. It looks like it's sinking. The disciples are sure that it's going to sink. They're so sure they're gonna, that it's going to sink, they think he doesn't even care that it's going to sink. You've been like that, I'm sure, sometimes when it looks like your ship is going down. And you think God died or something, or that he doesn't care. And so they even charge him with being uncaring. They said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And, uh, and he, he was not really asleep, because the Bible says he does not sleep, nor does he slumber. All right, so God can't really sleep, because he's still keeping the universe running. There he is, his eyes are closed, and it looks like he's sleeping, but God is not ever asleep. He's watching you and me all the time. Through the darkest night, through the worst situation, God is right there. And his eyes are over the righteous all the time, the Bible says. But they, did, they doubted it, and so they were fearful, and they were worried, and they, they had no peace, and their joy went right out the window. And it looked like they were going to die. And they finally, you know, seemed like they awakened the Lord. They got his attention. Jesus Christ stood up, and he just rebuked that storm. He spoke to the weather and made it calm down. The sea just obeyed and the sea just flattened out like a peaceful day. The wind just went, stopped blowing. And all of a sudden that boat, which looked like it was going down, it's rocking back and forth instantly. It's just calm. And now the disciples are even more afraid. They were afraid of dying before, but now they're afraid of a man who could do that. The Bible says they were fearful. Now they don't know what to say. Because who has that kind of power? Who could talk to a storm and make the storm quiet down? I'll tell you who. My God, my Savior. 
the one that loved me, the one that lives inside of you and me if you're saved, the one that does allow the boat to rock sometimes, who does allow the storm to rage sometimes, who does allow the waves to crash in on you sometimes, but he, he hasn't stopped caring and he hasn't gone away. Many times he's right there, but you think he's not paying attention and you think he doesn't care. And you'll charge him foolishly. When all the time he just wanted you to trust him. So it says in Romans fifteen thirteen. look at it again. He will fill you with joy and peace in church attendance. Right. <laughs> he will fill you with joy and peace in carrying your Bible around with you under your arm. Oh, no. Joy and peace has for its source the Lord, but has for its channel. I mean, the way the Lord brings these things to you is through this, this channel of faith and trust faith in Him, believing His Word. That's where the joy and the peace comes from. And I'm just reluctant to turn loose of this subject yet. Because I just have a feeling there's a whole bunch of people that need this this morning. Joy and peace in believing. Is that my medication? Thank you. <clears throat> joy and peace in, <clears throat> in believing. By the way, Earlier in the book of Romans, I mean, in fact, the, the previous chapter, if you'll go back there to verse number 17, chapter 14, verse 17. Remember what chapter 14 was about? God trying to get you to think and live a different way than you used to before you were saved. Chapter 14 is God trying to encourage you to be charitable toward the others around you, brothers and sisters in Christ in particular. God trying to encourage you and I to learn how to um, be merciful to those around you who might be critical and judgmental of you. I mean, we ought to handle our relationships with one another within this place with a lot of charity, with a lot of charity, with a lot of mercy toward one another. You know, it's something that's unique among God's people. You're not going to get much charity and mercy out there in the world. You're not going to experience that. I had recently in a situation where one of, one of our families mentioned concerning their, their child, that uh, their child considered this the only place in her little world where she was safe. This place right here. Out there in the world, predators everywhere, the world everywhere, the government trying to tell you what to think, school teachers trying to make you look like a fool if you have any confidence in the Lord or believe His Word. But you know what? In here, this is supposed to be safe. This is supposed to be where nobody's trying to hurt somebody else. Nobody's trying to examine one another and find all the flaws in somebody else's character. I expect that out in the world. I expect the world never to give me a break. I'm not surprised when they don't give you a break. But you know what? In here, we're supposed to be, there's supposed to be kindness and charity. That's what God wanted his family, that's the way God wanted his family to operate. And and so in chapter 14, it's the Lord trying to teach the Christians in Rome here how to have that toward one another. And in the, in the context of trying to tell them that this new life that you have now as a child of God, you live it differently than, any life, than the life you lived before. I know some of you got saved when you were five years and six years old, so you can't equate this to a life that you lived before. But you understand, I mean, out there in the world, the world lives by certain rudiments, principles, 
that don't apply to the church, don't apply to the body of Christ. They don't, we don't live by those rules anymore. Now, maybe you think when you got saved, now you just added Jesus to everything that you had before. That is not the case. He comes in, you know what, and he changes all the rules. He changes all the rules. Because you find out as soon as you started reading the Bible, and many of you who after you started reading the Bible, you found out, wow, this is a completely different world than anything I knew about. This is a completely like new way of life that I had no knowledge of, and it's a life that you have to learn about. You're not born with any knowledge of, of how to walk with God. God has to show you and teach you. Why? Because the principles of the Christian life, you don't learn them in the world. They don't know anything about it. But, and so, in chapter 14, God is trying to impress that upon us, that this, this underlying principle that we should have between ourselves here is this principle of charity, kindness, love, forgiveness with one another. And in that context, look at what God says in verse number 17 of chapter 14. For the kingdom of God, that's this new government that we're a part of. We're under the authority, the rule of the Lord Himself. And this kingdom that He's established is not a kingdom that you can see with your eyes because it's in the heart. The Bible says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. So it's not a government imposed on us by religion. It's not a government of rules and obligations and a kind of behavior that's prescribed. But it's something, it's a principle put in your heart by the Spirit of God. It's something that has to be understood within and then lived outwardly. Starting when you're a kid. we got a lot of young people in here that have to go out in that world, they have to face young people in this society and in school that don't know anything about the Lord. It's got to be very... I mean, it was difficult when I was young, but I wasn't saved, and I used to make fun of those who tried to live right, you know, and live godly, and I mean, they were the object of tremendous scorn. And I'm ashamed that often I was the one given the scorn. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I'm, but our young people have got to face that now. And many of you do. Adults have to go to work and you have to face, you know, the, you know, the scorn of the world. I mean, as long as you shut up and be quiet and don't let anybody know that you believe on the Lord, then you've got nothing to worry about. Don't live like it. Don't look like it. Don't talk like a child of God and you'll be okay. But as soon as you decide, I'm going to live for the Savior that loved me and died for me, then the Bible says you'll have persecution in this world and scorn. But you and I live by principles that God put within us once we got saved. And the kingdom of God is within you. And notice he says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Meaning, God didn't give you a bunch of rules about what you can eat, what you can drink. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Don't drink this. Don't go there. Don't go here. Don't do this. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is these things. Look at this, verse 17. But righteousness, righteousness, meaning True righteousness, not the kind you fake, not the kind you put on, not the kind the world wears, you know, religion. And they think that makes me righteous. Look at how religious I am. Look, I pray all the time. I go to church every week. I, I, I do this. I do that. The Bible says that righteousness is like filthy rags in the eyes of God. He looks at that and it makes him sick. The real righteousness is the one the Lord gives you. He has to give it to you because you have none of your own. Your own righteousness is is evil in his eyes. The Bible says there's truly, really, none righteous, no, not one. But God gives us the righteousness of his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, and then, obviously, that means getting saved. But then notice, notice the other two things. Peace and joy. 
God intended you, if you're saved, to have these things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. If it's lacking in your life, you need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. If you can honestly say today, you know what, I don't have much peace. I don't really have much joy. I'm happy as long as the circumstances are right. But if my circumstances change, uh uh-oh, there goes my happiness. Okay, then you don't have joy. Joy means God could touch even the most precious things you own. And you'll still love Him. You could still sing about Him on a Sunday morning, even though your heart is breaking. That's joy. Have you got that? Do you have that? If you don't have it this morning, it is not God's fault. If you don't have that this morning, listen to me, it is not God's fault. You want joy, you want peace, the Bible tells you where it comes from. It comes in believing. Believing. And I guess that's where I'm going to park this morning. I want to park on the believing part. I want to park on the importance of believing in order to experience peace and joy. And, and the outcome of that is abundant hope. Right? But notice the, the, critical, the, the critical part of that verse is really the thing that we probably just read over real quick. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy, that, that word lights up, and peace, that word lights up in believing, that you may abound in... Okay, we just like pass over the most important part of the verse. Joy, wonderful. Peace, important. But it comes because you trust the author of this book. Those things come as the result of trusting Him, believing Him. Let me show you some examples of this in the Scripture. I want you to go home with joy and peace today. I want, or at least I want you to go home knowing how to get it if you've lost it. I want, you to, I want you to go home with it or know how to get it before you leave this place today, okay? Uh, let's go back to Isaiah. Find Isaiah in the Old Testament. Go back to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. <laughs> here, is a, here is one passage. Here is a recipe... For peace and joy. So I don't know how to get it. I don't know where my peace went. I don't know why. Okay, here you go. Mark these verses down. Here's a recipe from the Bible. God is the one doing the talking. God tells you right here how to get joy and peace in your life. Okay? Start with verse number six. Now remember, hear what, you sa- hear what we're saying this morning. Let God talk to you. Don't let this be Pastor Veach. Let this be the Lord speaking to you. I mean, hear him. Hear his words. Hear his words on this page. Hear it in your heart. Seek ye the Lord. Seek ye the Lord. Make an effort to get closer to him. Seek him. Some Christians find the Lord. They think they're going to find him accidentally. You're going to find him just because you came here to this place this morning, to this church. Well, this is a good place to find him because the Word of God is being preached. But you're not going to find him just because you're in this room. It's not this room that does anything. It's not this address on Amboy Road that does anything. When you seek the Lord, you have to seek him where he is found. Where is he found? In his Word. 
Say, I want to climb a mountain. I heard there's this holy mountain over in the Middle East, and if I just climb it, I know God will be there. Some people are like, there's this little shrine I have in my backyard. It's a quiet little place, and I got my little statue of Mary in a bathtub. And you know what? When I go over there, you know, I just, God is so close to me. God doesn't ask you to seek Him here or there or up this mountain or over here in this grotto or over here in this holy place. You don't have to make a pilgrimage to Bosnia or any place like that. You know where you go? You go to the nearest Bible. Just get to the nearest Bible. Because that's where God is found. So when He says, seek me, He's not talking about going on a pilgrimage. Unless you call walking from here to here a pilgrimage. That's a pilgrimage. You ought to make it every day. You ought to make it every day. Where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? Make, it, make, make a pilgrimage to this book. He says, seek me. Seek me. You can find him right here. He's not hard to find. He's not hard to find. If you're having a hard time finding God, then you definitely are looking in the wrong place. If you, if you thought you've got to go in a certain building, it's got a big tall steeple on the top of it, and it's got men dressed in you know, dresses and stuff like that, and a lot of incense around, and people going, oh, 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 oh. You do need medication, man. You need a doctor. If you want to find God, you go to the nearest Bible. Seek me. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Uh, that's worth preaching on, but we're going to keep going. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let, now watch this. Let the wicked forsake, let go of, his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. You have to be willing. Now, at the end of this passage is peace and joy. I'm not leading you astray here. But at the beginning of this passage is in order to get to the joy and peace at the end, the Bible is telling you, here's the prescription. Seek the Lord, be willing, and do it. Forsake, I mean, just let go of, turn away from, your own ways and your own thoughts. Because let's be honest, that's what has always gotten us in trouble. That is what has always gotten us in trouble. Leaning on our own understanding, instead of getting the directions... How many of you guys have ever tried to put something together without ever reading the directions? Just me? Am I the only guy? All right. I'm, I'm like, I'm hopelessly... <laughs> I'm too impatient to read. But I, I guarantee you, it's always faster to read the directions, even though it takes you a few extra minutes, because then you have to unbolt everything, take it all apart, and then put it back the right way. So, but it's, it's always wiser to read first. To read. Would you like a doctor... Cutting you open, who didn't read the directions, who didn't know where your whatever it is that he was supposed to take out or sew together. I mean, hopefully he read the book. Hopefully he sat through some classes. Hopefully, you know, he didn't graduate last in his class. Because even those guys get to put doctor in front of the name. But you know what? But in every other area of life, we appreciate somebody having made the effort to seek out the right information, Right? You wouldn't trust anybody in any other field that knew nothing about the subject and didn't make the effort to learn something about the subject, but they want to tell you about the subject. Don't you? you? You love that, right? You love when you talk to somebody and you realize they don't really know what they're talking about, but they're trying to give me direction. And you know what? So when it comes to spiritual things, you've got to go right back to the source of spiritual truth. Go right here, right? And in order to do that, you find out as soon as you begin reading this book, wow, 
God thinks quite differently than me. God has ways that are not at all like my ways. You'll find that out before you've gotten very far in the Bible. So if you want the joy and peace that God says is a part of being in His kingdom, it begins by seeking Him and letting go, turning loose, forsaking your own ways. Your way of everything. Your way of living. Your way of whatever. Just insert whatever you want in the blank there. We have our own way. We think our ways are right about, you know, raising kids, having a marriage, getting ahead in this world, being a success. We have our own definitions, our own ideas of what it means to be a good husband, to be a good businessman, to be a good father, to be a good whatever. But you know what? You've got to be willing... Turn loose of your thoughts and your ways if you're going to seek God. You're not going to get close to Him by informing Him of your thoughts and plans and your ideas and your ways. He's seen that for 6,000 years. He's not impressed. He's not impressed with your ideas. He knows what's in man. And He knows the thoughts of man. The Bible says that they are vanity. How do you like that? Our great intellect... Now, we've got a thing or two we could teach God, right? We think we could. But notice, forsake your way, forsake your thoughts, and watch this, verse 7, and let him return unto the Lord. And what will God do with someone like that? Notice what it says. He will have mercy upon him. Boy, I'm glad that God is like that. I'm glad God is like that. But you have to come to him not as one who is going to teach God something, but one who acknowledges that, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to trust my own ways and my own opinions and my own thoughts. I'm going to seek you. What have you got to say? And God will be merciful. And the last part of verse 7, he will abundantly pardon. Now, here's verse 8 and 9. Here's why you should forsake your ways and your thoughts. For God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. All right? That's coming from the Lord. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Here are his thoughts. You can know his thoughts. You can, we have the mind of Christ. It's right here. And God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. How could they be? You and I don't even use 10% of this little brain that we have. And God, doesn't, God isn't limited in any way. And God doesn't have a brain that was created. But, I mean, he, he's an, got an infinite mind. And there isn't anything that you have to instruct him in. So he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. That's good to remember. That means you ought to continually examine your ways and your thoughts. And make sure that your ways and your thoughts are in line with God's. And if they are not compatible, guess whose thoughts and ways need to be abandoned? Right? But you, have to, you and I, every day, we have to continually examine, well, is... I'm thinking about well, I'm thinking about my future. I'm thinking about a home. I'm thinking about a career. I'm thinking about a family. I'm thinking about a wife. I'm thinking about marriage. I'm thinking about having children. I'm thinking about doing this or doing that. I'm thinking about making money. I'm thinking about whatever. You know what? You better make sure that the way you're thinking is like God thinks. Make sure that you're, as I forget who it was. I, I don't know if it was Brother Spurgeon when he preached here. Make sure that your thinking isn't stinking. Make sure that your thoughts are like God's thoughts. 
It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. On your best day, you haven't ever been as righteous and perfect as God is. On your best day. On that day that you wish could just be framed, you know. On that day when you can't remember how, you didn't fail, you didn't do, make a mistake. You, you look back on that day when, wow, what a day. You know what, on your best day, you haven't even come close to what God is on His worst day. He's perfect in every way. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And it says, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts, and my thoughts than my thoughts, than your thoughts. But now watch this. Now, if, if that passage ended right there, that could be a little discouraging. Because that seems to leave you hopeless. That seems to leave you like, okay, well, God, all right, you, you got your point across. I guess I'm just never going to be like you. You are just way up there, and I'm way down here, and I got the point. No, God didn't leave it there. That's just the starting place. That's where you begin. You begin by humbling yourself and remembering that you're not who you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as righteous as you think you are. And, and, and if you want something from God, it begins by just humbling yourself and acknowledging, all right, Lord, I'm going to turn loose of all this stuff, my way, my thoughts, my opinions. I'm willing to admit, Lord, that you're right. Not only admit it, but I'm willing to let go of these things that I've been holding on to. My way of going through life. And obviously, you can look around and find a lot of Christians who've made that their choice. They, they're, they're living life their way. I did it my way. And what's the outcome of that? No joy, no peace, and no hope. And if that's the way you want to go through your Christian life, you can go that way. You can go through life experiencing no joy, no peace. Always needing a spiritual ambulance in trouble half the time. Needing somebody to come along, you know, some spiritual medics to come along and pick you up out of another crisis. Shouldn't be that way. That's not what God intended for you. But then it goes here, it says, watch this, verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither but watereth the earth. It never comes down in vain, in other words. God sends the water down, sends the snow down. And guess what? It never evaporates and goes back up into the sky without having done something good. Now, sometimes God sends it in judgment. But, you know, believe it or not, sometimes even judgment is good. Chastening is good. But it never just comes in vain. The rain comes always, even God says, it came with a purpose. I send it on purpose. And notice it says, but it watereth the earth. Verse 10, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be. Watch this. God is showing you that when the rain and the snow comes down, God doesn't send it in vain. But even though it seems like such a simple thing, you and I disregard it. A rainy day, we're all like, oh boy. You know, but God had a reason for doing it. God had a purpose. Even in that, you and I don't understand God's ways. Or are even close to understanding his thoughts. Because God said, I didn't send it in vain. I, I send it always with a purpose. It accomplishes something. And, it, and, I'm, and I'm working something even through that. And he says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. 
meaning his word, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. Watch this. That means God's word is as effective as the rain. Now, the rain can sometimes come and bring a blessing. And the rain can sometimes come and wash your house away. God's word can come sometime and bring a blessing and make things grow and bud and spring up to life in your heart. Or God's word can chasten you and rebuke you. And at that great judgment at the end, when the wicked stand before God, God is simply going to open the book and the word of God will be their damnation. So this same book that can bring you life can also be the means of God judging. So either way, God says, I didn't send it in vain. When you preach the gospel, don't be discouraged if you don't see any apparent results. Because God promised you, my word always accomplishes something. It never returns to me void. You say, well, I've preached the gospel, I've given tracts, I've witnessed to my loved ones, and they just won't listen. I guess that book is not effective. Oh, no, yes, it is. Because you know what will happen? If they reject the truth of this book, one day those words which were preached to them will be exhibit A, B, C, and D, and E against them. It will be their condemnation. So either way, the Word of God glorifies the Lord. It accomplishes what God intended it to do, which means it's effective and powerful. It just depends on how you receive it. It'll do what God intended it to do if you receive it the right way. So it depends upon the receptive, a receptive heart. It says, it will not return. Look at it again. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Now watch the very next verse. God said, I have something in mind when I send it. I, when I, the purpose that I had in my heart when I sent my word, notice the next verse, I'm going to assume this is his purpose, because it follows immediately after that statement. Look at verse 12. For ye, his people, in other words, shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Woo! Wow. Joy and peace. But what's the, what's the missing ingredient? What I do with the Word of God. What I do with the Word of God determines whether or not I'm going to go out with joy and peace. You want to go out with joy? You want to leave this place in jo with joy? You want to go out in peace? How many times, several times in the Gospels, where somebody came to the Lord desperately in need? I'm thinking about, there's two instances that come to mind. That woman that came to the Lord, he was at dinner in a Pharisee's house, and some woman, she was a really wicked sinner, and everybody in the room knew she was, but she came with tears, and she came humbly before the Lord, and she had brought a precious alabaster box full of ointment that was very costly. She broke the box and she poured it over the Lord. Everybody in the room got offended, especially this Pharisee who's thinking in his heart, oh, if that guy Jesus was really a prophet of God, if he was really a prophet of God, he wouldn't let that woman touch him like that because she's wicked. And the Lord knew the Pharisee's thoughts. 
and said, you know, I'm here in your home having a meal, but you never, you never brought any expensive ointment and poured it on, on me as a precious offering, like a gift. I mean, what a, what a sacrifice for this woman to give. And she's weeping while she's doing it. And she's wiping his feet with, the, with her tears and her hair. Like, what an odd kind of a scene. The Pharisee, all self-righteous, all, you know, probably in his religious garments, sitting there, like all pious and full of himself, is judging the Lord because here's this wicked woman making a fool of herself, weeping all over him, pouring oil on him, wiping him with her hair. And the Lord rebukes the Pharisee and says to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Go in peace. Don't worry about it. You got critics all around you. You got a horrible past. And you got nothing to commend you to God. But you came to me the right way. You came to me believing. You came to me realizing who I am. Now, daughter, go in peace. Isn't that a blessing? He said that to the same words to that woman that had that issue of blood. She was... I don't know what the medical issue was, but she's bleeding and bleeding 12 years. They can't stop it. She'd been to doctors. Nobody could fix it. Finally, in desperation and in shame, she comes to Jesus, but she doesn't even walk up and, and express her need. She crawls through the feet of the crowd. She doesn't even want anybody to see her that she's there, but she'd heard about this Jesus guy, and she just had enough faith in her heart to believe that he can do something for me. And she just crawled through the crowd, not even wanting anybody to notice that she was there. Can you imagine if you'd been near the Lord and seen this woman crawling on the ground? Probably not a very pretty sight either if she's got an issue of blood and whatever. And she's crawling on the ground, too ashamed to like stand up and walk and speak to the Lord. And she just reaches through all those feet and just touches the hem of His garment. And the Lord realized that virtue had gone out of Him to her. And he knew who it was, but he wanted her to admit it. And he said, who touched me? And she was afraid to say anything. And she said, it was me, Lord. Said the same words to her. Daughter, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Ooh, that's my God. That's my Savior. When you come to Him the right way, you know what you go away with? You go away with peace and you go away with joy. And if you're missing that in your life, I guarantee you, you haven't come to Him the right way. You came to Him full of yourself. You came to Him with your list of demands, your prayer requests. You came to Him expecting for Him to work on your schedule, in your way. You weren't willing to just say, Lord, I'm going to forsake my thoughts, my ways, and I just need you today. I just need you today. I'm going to listen today for a change, Lord. I'm going to trust what you said. I'm going to believe your word. And you know what happens when you believe this book? You go out with joy and peace. That's what happens. Every time you come into His presence with the right heart attitude, you go out with joy and peace. And if you're missing it in your life, either you didn't come into His presence, you didn't seek Him, you didn't get the book open. Or you didn't look at it in the right way. You looked at it hoping you could find something that would justify your thoughts and your ways. That's the way many Christians read the Bible. Looking for ammunition. Looking for something for that stupid wife of mine. Looking for something for that... Looking for something for that husband. I can't wait to show him this verse. Boy, I'm going to get him now. 
Your Bible should just burn up in your hands. Do, just do God a favor. Leave it alone. Leave His Word alone. If you're going to use it like that. You've got to come to Him saying, Lord, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. My ways stink. My thoughts, I don't even trust them. Amen. Amen. The Bible says the man that trusteth in his own heart is a genius, right? You know what the Bible says? Anybody know where that verse is in the Bible? The Bible says the man that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. A fool. A fool. But I think there's a verse in Jeremiah that says, Oh, you should turn there. Go to Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Somewhere in here. Look at Jeremiah 17. Look at verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. That trusteth in the Lord. Now listen, trusting in the Lord doesn't just mean, well, I came to church. I guess that's proof I trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord doesn't mean, well, I believe that there's a God. I guess that means, uh, that, so I qualify. Nope. The devil's got you beat there. Satan, is, <laughs> Satan has got you beat. He, he believes there's a God with more certainty than you do. He knows there is. It's been his enemy for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So the devil has no doubt that there's a God. Do you know that the devil has no doubt that Jesus is virgin born? He, was, he inspired Herod to try and kill all the babies in Bethlehem to prevent that virgin born son from growing up. So he has no doubt that Jesus is the son of God. He has no doubt that Jesus is born of a virgin. If those are only the facts that you accept and believe, then that doesn't mean you're trusting the Lord. The devil believes those facts about God, but he doesn't trust the Lord. He's not willing to forsake his own ways and forsake his own thoughts and follow the thoughts of God and the ways of God. That's trust. Do you get it? You know what real trust is then? It's forsaking your own ways and your own thoughts and believing that book. Until you have forsaken some way of yours which is contrary to God's, then you don't really trust him. You don't think it's safe enough to forsake those things. Everybody, everybody think I'm weird. Everybody think I'm like a fanatic, like some of those other people at church. Some people say, well, that's just not my culture, man. I'm not, that's just not the way we live. That's not the way we do it. You know what? It's so ridiculous, the excuses we have for not just throwing off those old grave clothes. Those old grave clothes. And just getting dressed up in the Word of God. And because we won't do that, that's why so many of God's people are troubled, anxious, full of worry, full of fear, no joy, no peace. It isn't God's fault. It isn't God's fault. So, well, I don't get it. I go to church. Well, sure. Churches all over this island are filled with all kinds of reprobates this morning. There's no proof of anything. Look, I could have been on the golf course this morning. Well, good for you. I could have been fishing this morning. Good for you. We give you a little star on your chart. I mean, big deal. What, I mean, what do you want God to do? Want God to bring the angels over? Hey, look, he came to church. I can't believe it. I mean, you don't get any points for that. You don't get any points for being here. I'm glad you're here. Praise the Lord. It's a lot better when there's people in these seats. 
So I'm thankful for that. This is really, this will really be hard preaching to an empty room. So don't get me wrong. But guess what? You don't get any points with God just because you showed up. It's what's going on down here in this heart of yours. What's happening down here? You think that you think that no one has ever just come in this room and walked out the same way they came in? You don't think that's ever happened? You don't think somebody's ever come in here, heard the word of God, decided I don't like that and walked right out again? So it doesn't matter. You're here. It matters. Is that here? Is that book getting in? Is it getting in? Are you letting it get in? Do you want it to get in? Do you want it to control your life? If you want it to, you're getting close to joy and peace. You're getting close to joy and peace if you want it to control your life. If you want this book to have its way inside you. If you want the word of a holy God who cannot lie to be your compass in life. To be your map, your guide. If you want that then you're closer to joy and peace. It says, it will accomplish what he purposed it to do. He he had a reason for sending it. And the reason for sending it is that you could go out with joy and peace in believing. Paul said to the Christians in Thessalonica, a city in Greece that he made a missionary trip to and established a church, he wrote to them and he said to them that he rejoiced that when when he had been there, And he was there for just a short period of time. But he rejoiced that when he had been there, that they received the word of God. They received the word of God, which they had heard from him. But that when they did that, they received it, it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It says he rejoiced because they received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Which worketh the word of God, which worketh effectually also in you that believe. Paul said, I'm rejoicing because when I was there for that short period of time, the three weeks that he was in Thessalonica, I'm rejoicing that you received the word of God. He came preaching the word of God. He said, I'm so happy that you guys listened. But not just that you listened, not just that you were kind and considerate and respectful and gave me time to speak. I'm glad not because you received it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually, effectually worketh in you that believe. That's where the power of this book works. This book, it says it will give you joy and peace. But how... How does it work? It works in believing. It works in trusting. It works in me not just reading, but believing and trusting that what I'm reading is not just the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah, Jeremiah, but these are the words of God. These are the words of God. You don't read it like a critic. You read it like a hungry man needing some bread. You read it like somebody in the desert that needs a drop of water. You read it like that. You know what? And God says, okay, I'm going to give you something now. Now I'm going to give you something. You, uh, you approached me like a scientist before. You approached me like a theologian before. But now I see you coming just like a hungry, thirsty man. And that's when you get something from God. He's looking at the heart. And you know what? You go away from an encounter with God like that with joy and peace. And if the joy and peace, you know, meter in your life, you know, 
If you put the stick in and you come back up and it looks empty, guess what you got to do? Seek the Lord. Forsake your ways. Forsake your thoughts. Hear his word. Believe what it says. And you're going to go away of joy and peace. It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. First Peter chapter 1. Go there with me. First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> let's go down to verse number uh, let's go down to verse number 3 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again I hope you're born again that's what it's saying begotten again given birth born of God's spirit to be begotten means to be born of his spirit it was the spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead Right? And that's why the Bible says he is the only begotten Son of God. Right? It doesn't mean that verse doesn't mean the virgin birth, it means begotten from the dead. Psalm chapter two says so. This day have I begotten thee, God said, concerning his resurrection. So it was the Spirit of God that brought Jesus Christ alive from the dead. What happens to you when you believe the gospel? The Lord takes something that is dead and brings it alive. You're born of His Spirit, begotten of God. Right? That's what has to happen. Being born again is not some religious category of Christians. It's what makes a person a Christian. If you've never been born of God's Spirit, you're not a true Christian. You might believe Christian things. You might belong to a church that believes in Christian doctrine. But you yourself may not be a child of God unless you are Born again, born of God's Spirit. And it says here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again, born again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So don't forget, your inheritance isn't here. Your inheritance isn't here. It's waiting. It's waiting. You haven't seen. Your eyes have not seen. Your heart, your heart can't even imagine what awaits you in glory. Your, inher- your true inheritance is waiting in eternity. Everything down here, just a little foretaste of glory. The little blessings that you get now, the blessing of having your sins forgiven, of having that peace and that joy, it's not anything compared to what you're going to experience When you see the Lord face to face in heaven. So our true inheritance is waiting. It's reserved in heaven. Verse 5, who are kept, we are kept, preserved in other words, by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein, wherein, in other words, even though I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm begotten of God, I'm a child of God, this new life that I'm living now in the kingdom of God, yet in this new life wherein we greatly rejoice, though... Now, for a season, if need be, year in heaviness through manifold temptations. Ooh, what? What in the world? Wow, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, there's an inheritance reserved for me in heaven. But, it says, this new life that I'm living, it says sometimes for a season, short period of time, if need be. If need be. Who would ever say, you know what, Lord, I need right now a little trouble in my life, could you... Help me out. Who, who would ever say, if need be? 
That's not the believer that's ever going to say that. The believer isn't going to say, you know what, Lord, I haven't had any trouble in a long time. I could use a little trouble. I could use some manifold temptations and trials. Bring it on, Lord. No, nobody talks it. Nobody thinks that way. Who, who is the one that decides if need be? Every once in a while, he says, you know what? You know what my son needs? <laughs> he needs a little trouble. He needs a trial. He's not going to like this. He's going to wonder what happened. He's going to wonder what he did wrong. He's going to wonder, why me? But God's the one that decides, if need be. Hey, let him decide. Even though you are in heaviness, where in, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness. <gasps> oh, Lord, why? Ah, I can't handle this. This is too heavy. This is too much of a burden. You know how you feel when it seems like all your problems just go away? You just feel like oh, you could just dance across, you know, on air. But man, when it just seems like the whole world is crashing in on you, it's just like you just everything's too heavy. You don't even want to get out of bed. You can't even pick your head up sometimes. I mean, that heaviness is something you feel down in your soul. And there are some times that God knows that and allows that, and it's necessary. So don't, you know, don't buck against the Lord. Don't kick against those things that God might do. Because watch this. Here's what God's intention is. That the trial of your faith, that testing of your confidence in Him, is really more precious than of gold that perisheth. It's more valuable than if God, if you opened up your closet door one day and found a big sack of gold in there. You'd say, I've been blessed! Well, guess what? God says, I'm going to send you some trouble and heartache, and it's going to be more valuable. You don't understand it. You don't, this, is how, this is why we don't think like God thinks. We do not think like God thinks. Because we wouldn't place any value on trials. We wouldn't place any value on trouble. You know how God does not think like you and me? Because you know what trouble does in a Christian's life? If you stay close to God and you stay in this book, you know what happens? You get strong in the inner man. You get muscles on the inside that the world can't see. Not the kind that guys you know, work and pay for in a gym and have to see in a mirror. You get the kind, you get those kind of muscles and strength and, and power on the inside that only comes from somebody who got close to God during a heartache. Who got close to God when their world was crashing down all around them. Who took that as an opportunity from the Lord to get to know Him a little better. And to open the book and find out, maybe my way of thinking isn't God's way of thinking. And my way of living and doing isn't the way God would want me to do it. But notice what it says, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found, this trial of yours might result in, might be found unto praise and honor and glory, when? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be a blessing if you could look back on your life and see some real heartaches that God allowed you to go through? But somehow by His grace, and just because of the support of the Scriptures, His Word, His presence, you endured them. You lived through them. You didn't make a fool out of yourself and bring reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. You know when you're going to be happy that you endured that and got through it? When you see Him face to face. And the Lord says, Son, I told you it would be okay. I told you if you'd just trust me, I'd get you through this. 
I told you, if you put your, my word in your heart, you'd come out of this better than when you went into this. Wouldn't that be a blessing that at the appearing of Jesus Christ, you and I could stand before Him with nothing to be ashamed of? Nothing to regret? No regrets in saying, Boy, Lord, I, now that I see You face to face and I see, wow, all these promises of Your coming really came true, now I regret that when I was going through that back there, I regret that I didn't believe You and trust You. I regret that I made, I made a fool out of myself during that time. I regret that I didn't take that heartache as an opportunity to get on my knees and seek you. I regret that. I'm ashamed that I didn't do that. You know what? If you and I could get in this book in those times, when the Lord appears, then that trial is going to turn out to have been unto praise and honor and glory. Watch this. Number eight. Whom, at the, at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen... We love. You love. I haven't seen him. I've only read about him. I haven't seen him. But I love him. I haven't seen him. I just got a book. That's all I got. I got the same thing you got. But I've been reading this book for 40 years. Coming up on 40 years. And you know what? In 40 years, I can say I don't love him less. I love him more. I love him more. I wish I loved him more than I do. I'm ashamed that I don't love him more than I love him. But I love him more than when I first got to know him 40 years ago. Because now I've seen him get me through things and I've seen him answer prayers and I've seen God working in the lives of people around me. I've seen the hand of God. I know he's real. I know he's real. As Brother Pat said, Pat Dean says, you know what? If this is a dream, don't wake me up. It's no dream, it's real. It says, whom having not seen, you love. Look at verse 8. In whom, though you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How, how can a Christian going through a trial ever have joy unless it's because they simply believe God? They believe Him. They trust what He has said. If you don't trust what He said, then you're going to worry yourself through every heartache that ever comes up. One last verse. We've got to quit. I have a lot more, but we're out of time. So I'm stopping here. Go back to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. Famous verse of Scripture. And a lot of you already know the verse I'm going to quote, or have you read. But these two verses kind of sum up the message today, I guess. And I hope you won't forget Isaiah chapter 55. I hope you'll go back and look at it again a little more in depth on your own time. And like consider what it says. Consider from Isaiah 55 if there's some of your own ways and thoughts that you need to forsake. And just decide... In faith, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a jump here and a leap here and I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. You know what will happen when you trust the Lord over your own opinions and thoughts? You will never be ashamed. God will never let you be embarrassed that you trusted Him. Isn't that something? Oh, the world might make fun of you, but you will never be brought to shame because you decided to trust the Lord instead of trust yourself. God will never let that happen. The Bible says... 
he that believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean he that believeth on him will not be embarrassed that he believes. That's not what it says. He that believeth on him shall not be ashamed, meaning God will never bring you to shame for having trusted him. He will never put you in a place where you're going to regret that you believed him. Imagine that. I'm sorry I trusted you. Uh-uh. You'll never have to say that. The only thing you're going to ever have to say is, Lord, I'm sorry I didn't trust you. I'm sorry I did not believe you. But watch this. We're going home on this one, okay? So cheer up. 26, verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace who attends church regularly. No. Here's, here's where it comes from. It's all the same. I mean, everything points to the same source. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, know, fixed, stuck. Wouldn't it be good just to get stuck on Jesus Christ? Can't get him out of your mind. Can't stop thinking about him. That'd be, a, that'd be a good way to go through the day. Can't stop thinking about him. I just can't get him out of my head. And you know what? If you, got, if you can't get Jesus Christ out of your head, that's probably the best thing that ever happened to your head. That is the best thing that ever happened to your head. If you can't get him out. If you can't stop thinking about him, you are, you are blessed. You are blessed. The problem is, some Christians can't even start thinking about him. You need, a, you need to be primed. The pump has to be primed. An hour of singing. Oh, now maybe you're ready to start thinking about him. It ought to be that we can't stop thinking about him. Because guess who has peace? Guess who has peace in life? The guy who can't get Jesus out of his head. That's the guy that's got peace. That's when you're going to really experience that tranquility, that sea and all those storms and those waves just kind of quiet down. Because you can't, you can't stop thinking about Jesus Christ. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace in believing. Where does this peace come from? It comes from trusting him, believing him, taking him at his word. Notice the next verse, and then we're done. Trust ye in the Lord forever. There's no reason to ever stop. No reason to ever stop, no matter what comes. There's no reason to ever stop believing Him. No reason to ever stop trusting Him. Trust Him forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Let's bow our heads. You've been very kind this morning to listen. But before we go home, I want to ask you a question. Please, just give me...